Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning, we're going to go through some of the Old Testament proofs of the resurrection, those scriptures that foretold of Jesus rising from the dead. We're going to look at some of the New Testament scriptures that spoke of His rising. And then we're going to see what God has done for us and ask that question, what now should we do? In Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter, in that great sermon to the crowd of thousands, at the very beginning of the church, spoke these words. Acts 2, verse 25 and following, For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. That day, more than 3,000 people got saved. And what was the defining moment of Peter's message? Well, of course, it was the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus. This, that was and still is the defining difference between Christianity and every other religion or belief system. It's also the reason why we as Christians have a hope beyond this life. Da David said, moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. We rest in the knowledge that what Jesus Christ has done at the cross and His rising from the dead gives us hope for everlasting, everlasting life. At the very beginning of the church, the first disciples preached Christ, His birth, His life, His death, and His resurrection. But the resurrection was not merely a New Testament doctrine thought up by the first believers to explain the missing body. It was very clearly taught throughout the Old Testament. Peter quotes in this message exactly from Psalm 16, which was written thousands of years before. David penned the words to that psalm speaking of himself, but he also was speaking beyond himself. As the Holy Spirit gave inspiration to David's words, he may have written things that he, at that time he didn't completely understand. But as we look back and have the entirety of Scripture at our disposal, we can see how it all fits together. Peter continues in Acts 2.29, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. Remember, these were the first Christians were really Jewish converts. David was highly esteemed in their, in their eyes, King David. 
So Peter goes on, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Remember, he was, David was told that his throne will live on forever and ever. But of course, David would not be sitting on that throne forever and ever. But the son of David would take that place, Jesus Christ. In foreseeing this, David spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which all of us are witnesses. So David actually prophesied, foretold of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's, and Peter, in making reference to that, foresees that Jesus is the Holy One who would not see corruption. It was a clear picture of the resurrection. And although David had a, a, a hope of an afterlife, it was cloudy. He didn't completely see it because he didn't have complete revelation. He knew a place where he would be in the presence of God. He also spoke of Jesus' body, which was raised up the third day. David spoke of his soul not remaining in Hades. But Jesus Christ's physical body was also raised up. So it's clear that David's prophecy was not about himself, but had to be about Jesus. Psalm 22, 16 gives us a prophecy concerning the details of Jesus' suffering. It says, For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. That's Psalm 22, written thousands of years before Jesus Christ was even born. Jesus, in the New Testament, offered doubting Thomas proof of his resurrection. In John 20, 27, he says to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. And in the book of Job, the earliest of the Old Testament books to be written, Job speaks of belief in his own resurrection because of the resurrection of his Savior. In Job 19, 25 and 26, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Job had that hope of everlasting life and a resurrection because he knew that his Redeemer lives. And in Isaiah 53, that magnificent chapter describing the suffering servant, the details of Jesus' death and resurrection are also made clear. Isaiah 53 and verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. In verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And then in verse 9, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, 
because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. The New Living Translation puts verse 10 this way, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants and he will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. But Jesus himself also spoke of his resurrection. In Luke 9, 21 and 22, he strictly warned and commanded them to tell no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the, the third day. Matthew 17 tells us, Now when they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be destroyed by the hands of man, and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. You see, I, I read those verses and I said, why were they sorrowful? The disciples heard him say, he will be raised up, but I think they stopped listening partway through there when Jesus said, the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. I think they kind of stopped listening right there. But the end of the story, the rest of that story, is that he will be raised up on the third day. Luke 18 tells us, he, looked, he took the twelve aside. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. See, Jesus not only predicted his own death and resurrection, but he also referred back to the Old Testament. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But the, uh, the, the, the disciples understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not know the things which were spoken. It was, it was confusing to them. They didn't understand what the resurrection was all about. And like the disciples, we may have been blind to the truth at one point. Or maybe some of you who are sitting there today still are blind to that truth of the resurrection. But if God opens your eyes, if you pray that He opens your eyes, you'll have, you'll have understanding. So we've seen the Old Testament proofs. We've seen the New Testament proofs. Let's apply it now to our lives. Jesus made it very clear that there is a resurrection of the dead, not only to those who believe, but for all people. Every person will be resurrected. The, the only question is to where? John 5, Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth for those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. There's a saying, there are two seats in eternity, smoking and non-smoking. It's a humorous way of saying that there's a resurrection for all, but not all to the same place. And this doctrine is critical to our faith. 
1 Corinthians 15 tells us, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. If Christ is not risen, then the message would be incomplete. And your faith is also empty. Trusting in Jesus would be hopeless because we would be putting our faith in a, in a dead Savior. But Jesus has overcome death. Also, if there were no resurrection, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, yes, and if we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He, was raised, that he raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, in fact, if the dead do not rise, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. We would be liars if we preached the resurrection, but Jesus was not raised from the dead. It goes hand in hand that if Jesus was raised, we will also be raised from the dead. It goes on. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians, and if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. We don't have that remedy for sin if Christ is not risen. Redemption would not be possible because it was the resurrection that signified God's acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice, that it was sufficient for our salvation. Then also who have fallen, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Paul goes on to tell us that death and our burial become the end of the story if there is no resurrection. There would be no hope for those who die before Christ because they have nothing to look forward to. But in contrast, let's look at the joyous results if there is a resurrection, since there is a resurrection. But now Christ is risen. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 15, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus' resurrection paved the way for us all. All who believe have been given the guarantee of eternal life because of Him. For since by man came death, and by man also came the resurrection of the dead, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. God's plan all along was that Jesus' resurrection would counteract the introduction of death brought on by Adam's sin. Sin brought death. Christ's resurrection brought forth victory. The law revealed our sin. Christ's resurrection overcame our sin. We were subject to eternal separation from God because of sin, but Jesus brought us back into fellowship with God because of His resurrection. Jesus destroyed our greatest enemy, death. So now we have nothing to fear because we know He has given us eternal life. But spiritually, we see, we've seen what God has done for us spiritually to our understanding of what God's great plan of redemption means for us. Let's go to the Gospel of Mark and the account of that first Resurrection Sunday when several woman, women came to the, to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. In Mark 16, Verse 2, it says, Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb 
when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. We see in Mark's account of the resurrection something very interesting that's not mentioned in the other Gospels. It's the only account of the women who came that Sunday morning asking a question amongst themselves. Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Spiritually, this is the most important single question when we consider our eternity. The stone that covered that door separated life from death. And in a practical sense, it kept out the animals who may go in and want to ravage the body, kept out intruders that may want to go in and steal maybe articles of clothing or other valuables that may have been buried with that person. But on the other side, it also kept out the stench and the decaying body from the outside. Matthew's account gives us even more details about the practical reasons that the tomb was sealed. In Matthew 27, verse 62, it says, On the next day which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he, Jesus, was still alive, how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. At that time, there was a group of religious leaders who didn't want Jesus to gain any more followers. His presence reduced their influence and their power over the people. But spiritually, we see something else in these accounts. Three impediments to having access to Jesus. The stone, the seal, and the guard. The women at the tomb that morning represent us all. Seeking the Lord, but coming up against insurmountable obstacles. Remember the question they asked amongst themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? That stone represents the weight of sin that separates us all from God. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Sin that is not dealt with is a heavy burden. It weighs us down. So we can't accomplish what God's plan is for our lives. The second impediment is the sealing of the stone. Even if you could get enough human strength, even if they could get enough men to come to try to move that stone away, it has been sealed. 
They probably sealed it with mortar at that time. God's wrath is set against those who do not accept His provision for salvation. Our eternity is sealed until we put our faith in Jesus to redeem us. It says in John 3, 17 and 18, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Our eternity has been sealed. When we come into this world, we are born separated from God. We're condemned already because of the sin of Adam and Eve. That's why we need to be born again. The second birth, which is that spiritual birth, breaks that seal. In John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The last impediment to God, to access to God is the guard. Satan has set his guard at the very door of a relationship with Jesus in order to prevent us from coming to him. Most of us probably can attest to the fact that there were things that seemed to be obstacles, impediments set up throughout our lives that wanted to stop us from coming to Jesus. Maybe it was other people who had influence over us. Maybe it was being in the, in the midst of a, of a traditional church that was just more ritual than really relationship. But those impediments were set up, those guards that the enemy sets up before our relationship with Jesus. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be, vi be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's our enemy. That's the guard in front of the door of a relationship with Jesus. But Jesus had a remedy for that. He had a remedy for all three of those impediments. The weight of sin is too heavy for us to roll away that stone. So Jesus rolled it away for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And the seal of our eternity is only broken by the power of the resurrection of Jesus. There's nothing we can do to break it. And the resurrection has power. In Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. And Jesus has overcome the tricks of the devil and removed that guard in front of the door of salvation. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have over overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Any of us who have given our life to Jesus Christ have that power within us to overcome the things of the world that want to stand in our way. Matthew 16 
16 says, Simon Peter answered and, and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then in verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Nothing that the enemy has can prevail against the church. We are the church, all the believers that are sitting here today. Back to that first morning account. And entering the tomb in Matthew 16, says, And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. We are all seeking something in this world. Jesus Christ has given us a hope in his resurrection. We've seen the proofs in the Old Testament, the proofs in the New Testament. We've seen what God has done. And now our response, because we have everlasting life in what Jesus has done, our response is to seek him and to find him because he's done everything for us. If you haven't done that, I invite you to do that today. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.